following message was recorded live at Three Strands Church. We hope it will bless you, encourage you, and challenge you in your journey of faith. We'd love to pray for you or answer any questions you have. Message us at threestrands.church slash contact. If you're just joining us, we're in part four of a series called Highlight Reel where uh, we're studying the life of King David, not his entire life, just certain highlights that stick out, good or bad, and kind of learning from his life and uh, uh, making some applications to ours. And so I don't know if you've enjoyed this series up to this part or not. The thing I take confidence in is no matter how good a job I do or not communicating, God's word will never return void. And so I love getting into the scriptures and just trusting God that he's going to speak to our people through his word, and I take great delight in that. So if you've not been with us, this is your first a Sunday of the series, just kind of recap what we've covered so far, is week one, we looked at David's willingness to accept the call uh, when he first was called by God, um, by the prophet Samuel. And then the second week, we looked at his courage to defeat a giant. Many of you are familiar with that story of David and Goliath. And then last week, we looked at a, a guy that's name is hard to pronounce, but we looked at David's compassion to help those in need. And he looked at a guy named Mephibosheth, if you remember that. So today, many of you are also familiar with this story, I'm sure, um, the one we're going to cover today, kind of like you were with David and Goliath. I'd say a lot of people who grew up in church are, are familiar with this one. So let's jump right in. Bathsheba, the beautiful woman next door, she was pregnant. And Uriah, her soldier husband, was dead. And David, the king of Israel, was responsible. And this dark period certainly made the highlight reel of David's life, and it altered the course of David's influence forever. And I think most Bible teachers, when they teach this story, they use it uh, to teach about like either overcoming temptation or avoiding adultery. But today, I want us to focus on the rest of the story. Okay, we're not going to focus on those two things. Because God loved David so much that he was not going to allow him to just continue wallowing in sin. And so what he did was he sent the prophet Nathan to the palace to challenge the king to own up to what he had done and to repent. Now listen, this was a difficult assignment for Nathan. I mean, he and David, they had been friends. But David was the king. And listen, if the king exploded in anger... It could cost Nathan his life. So, so how David would react, good or bad, it was going to make the highlight reel of his life. Would he be honest and repent? Or would he be proud and just avoid it? That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at both sides of the coin because, listen to me, sometimes as Christians, you and I will be called upon to confront another person. We don't talk about this a lot in church, but we're going to today. Sometimes we're going to be called upon to confront other people. And guys, that's a tough thing to do. And we need to learn from Nathan's approach this morning on how to do that. Or sometimes, like David, someone may approach you and I. And they, they may want to hold us accountable for some serious offense or maybe some blind spot that we have in our lives. And we can learn a lot from David this morning about how you and I should respond to react in those situations as well. So that's where we're headed today. Let's jump right in in 2 Samuel chapter 11, starting in verse 26. The scriptures will be on the screen. 
The Bible says this, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. And when the period of mourning was over, David sent for her, he brought her to the palace, and she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son. But the Lord, it says, was displeased with what David had done. And in 2 Samuel 12, the first part of verse 1, it says, So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to David. And so just like God sent Nathan to confront David, listen, God will sometimes send you and I to confront another believer who's been drifting away from him. I don't know if you've ever done that in your life, but sometimes that's what God asks us to do. We just don't hear much about this in the world in which we live today, which, which practices extreme tolerance. The, the culture in which we live just says, hey, do whatever you feel like doing. Mind your own business. I mean, don't ever go confront anybody about some sin issue. But guys, listen, as Christians, you and I are called to live differently than the rest of the world. You and I are called to be set apart. And the truth is, the scriptures command us, not just suggest, they command us on occasion to confront. The Bible says rebuke one another, to hold each other accountable for our behavior. Look at 2 Timothy verse 3, 16, chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, all of scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It what? Corrects us. When we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. 2 Timothy 4.2 says that preachers are to preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. It says patiently what? Correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Titus 2.15 says you must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. You have the authority to what? Correct, and when necessary, don't, so don't let anyone disregard what you say. And so God's correcting must be balanced with encouragement. But there are times when we will be called to confront out of necessity. You know, the, uh, the Air Force Academy has a cadet honor code. It's actually engraved in one of their buildings, and it says this. The code says, I will not lie, steal, or cheat. Or tolerate those who do. And I heard about a young man who graduated from the Air Force Academy who said that whenever he would take a test, he would just bury his head on the paper. And his dad asked him, he said, son, is that so nobody will accuse you of cheating? And he said, no, dad, I'm scared that I might see somebody else cheating and have to turn them in. Guys, that should be the Christian attitude. I mean, we're not stalking people's lives, looking around for somebody who's breaking God's rules. But listen, if, we're in a, if we are aware of an offense, we are supposed to hold one another accountable. I mean, if you saw two elementary school age boys and they were playing with a loaded gun, you know, you're going to correct them, right? I mean, if not, you're not a very caring person or either you're not a very courageous person. And to listen, if we see another believer endangering their spiritual life and the lives of other people, we can't just keep quiet. We've got to confront them. Now, please hear me. That's not self-righteousness. It's not judgmental. It's compassion. It's biblical. 
and I don't know, it, it may be a boss who's, who's just blatantly unethical. It may be a coworker who's stealing from an expense account. It, it may be a student who's on drugs, a parent who's abusing a child, a Christian friend who's having an affair, a teenager who's becoming just increasingly defiant, or maybe a Christian leader who's, who's lying and losing all of their credibility. But Proverbs 28, 23 says this. In the end, people appreciate honest criticism more than flattery. Guys, there comes a time when integrity demands that we confront or we rebuke, as the Bible says. Sometimes as much for our own well-being as for that other person. And listen, I can tell you from, from times of experience that we've had to do this here in our own church it's never pleasant, but it's always beneficial. Guys, listen, if sin is not confronted, and if it's not addressed the way that God teaches us to deal with it in Matthew chapter 18, it will spread like a cancer throughout the entire church. And then there's going to be division within our mission, what we're trying to accomplish here. So how, how do we tackle this? What does Matthew 18 say? Let's look at it in verses 15 through 17. It says, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. But if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take the case to the church. Then, if he or she won't accept the church's decision, Treat that person as a pagan or as a corrupt tax collector. Guys, this story that we're looking at this morning, Nathan, he is the classic example of how to approach someone who's deliberately sinning. Classic example. And that's why we're looking at him. And, and the, the first thing I want us to notice this morning is this. Okay? If you have to go confront someone, let's learn from Nathan's example. The first thing is this. Nathan was the right person. He was the right person. Earlier in 2 Samuel, when David was thinking out building this incredible temple to God, he consulted with Nathan. So, so David and Nathan were already friends. And you know, if you are going to hold somebody accountable, it's important that they know you care about them, that you love them. You know, um, make sure they understand that you have their best interest in mind. Listen, don't go to them because you're angry. And you just want to humiliate them or unload on them? Listen, I would go so far as to say this. If you don't dread going, don't go. If you're looking forward to it, you shouldn't go. Fair enough? Nathan was the right person. The second thing is Nathan confronted a significant issue. David was caught in a web of deception, guys. And in Galatians 6.1, it says this. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer, okay, not just anybody, but if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should what? Gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. That's what pride will do. Guys, listen, we are not appointed by God 
to be referees excitingly just throwing penalty flags on people who are spiritually offsides. Okay? I've had people confront me in the past about showing a PG-13 movie at a church event, you know, and and Passion of the Christ was rated R, by the way, for uh, being graphic, but I've been confronted about showing that PG-13 movie at a church event, but those same people were not courageous enough to confront their own teenage daughter who was living with a man that she wasn't married to. But they had no problem confronting me about the movie, you know. You see, it's not our job to confront every Christian who loses their temper, who spends money foolishly, or who allows their kids to wear inappropriate clothing. We are not the moral police. That is between them and God. But listen, when a Christian, okay, not just anybody, but when a Christian is tangled up in some sin issue, in habitual disobedience, then you and I have a responsibility, the Bible says, to gently confront them and hold them accountable. The third thing is this. Nathan went alone. It was a private setting. You know, there's a temptation for you and I to escape personal confrontation by sending an email or shooting them a text, you know. But you know as well as I do, when we do that, the tone is so oftentimes misunderstood, isn't it? And so, you know, there's also a temptation to say something in front of other people. And so we'll, we'll have the support of the group. Many preachers can attack people from up here in front, from the pulpit. Many school teachers can attack people from the front of the classroom. I get it. But Matthew 18, 15, the first part says this. If another believer, again, believer, sins against you, go privately. Go privately and point out the offense. Nathan went alone. You see, guys, the chances of you and I having a gentle spirit and producing positive results from that meeting, they greatly increase if we just go one-on-one. The fourth thing is this. Nathan confronted in God's timing. It was God's timing. Nathan didn't go as soon as he heard the rumors that Bathsheba was pregnant or even when Bathsheba moved in with David. No, Old Testament scholars believe it may have been over a year before Nathan was sent by God because the child they had was already born. You know, David, David's conscience had time to kind of do its work. His defenses were down. It was God's timing. And you know, when you and I are first aware of a problem in somebody's life, it's so tempting just to try to fix it right then, isn't it? You know, but when we do that, oftentimes we will go in anger or too quick, and sometimes we have good intentions that ends up resulting in a shouting match, doesn't it? Get an argument. And that relationship ends up in ruins rather than addressing the sin issue that needed to be confronted. And so listen, wait until you're sure that it's God's timing. Pray about it. Let your emotions settle down. And then when you have peace, then you go. Don't procrastinate too long, but don't rush either. Go in God's timing. And the last thing about going to confront somebody that Nathan did that we can learn from him is this. Nathan went with facts. He went with factual information. He didn't go on hearsay or gossip. 
You know, there are times when we hear a rumor that, that maybe we need to confront. Maybe we need to say something like, hey, listen, there, there's this rumor out there floating around about you, and I just need you to tell me whether it's true or not. But if you think a rumor is true, get your facts in order. Because many people just give you like a surface denial, which stops the discussion and it delays repentance. Nathan went with very tactful words. He, he didn't go and just unload his anger and say, all right, David, come on. I mean, I mean, everybody knows you're out running around with Bathsheba. I mean, you've embarrassed the entire kingdom, David. You, you've screwed up big time. No, Nathan thought long and he thought hard and he planned out carefully what he was going to say. Proverbs 25, verse 11, it says, Timely advice is lovely, like golden apples in, in a silver basket. To one who listens, valid criticism is like a gold earring or other gold jewelry. Guys, the right words are crucial. Don't just say, listen, I'm going to go speak my mind and we'll just see what happens. Bad idea, bad idea. God can give you the words in advance. So think carefully about what you're going to say. And so Nathan came to David with a very thoughtful analogy. He thought this out. And here's what he said in 2 Samuel 12, 1. He said, David, there, there were two men in a certain town, and, and one was rich and one was poor. And he said, the rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle, but the poor man owned nothing but just one little lamb that he had bought. And he raised that little lamb, and it grew up with his children, and it ate from the man's own plate, and it drank from his cup, and he would cuddle it in his arms, David, like a little baby daughter. And then one day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But David, instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, you know what he did? He took the poor man's lamb and he killed it and prepared it for his guest. And you know what happened? The scriptures say that David was absolutely furious when he heard this. Alexander White wrote this. He said, Nathan's sword was within an inch of David's conscience before David even knew that Nathan had a sword. One sudden thrust and the king was at Nathan's feet. Because he thought about what he was going to say. Look at verse 5. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. And here it is. And then Nathan spoke. He spoke with truth. He spoke with love. And he spoke with courage in verse 7 when he said, listen, David, you're the man. You're the man. It's you. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you as king over Israel and I saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you my master's house and his wives and, and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah and if that hadn't been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why? Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite. David, the guy who was one of your, your 37 mighty men. I mean, he's been with you from the beginning. 
He was protecting you in those caves. You struck him down with the sword of the Ammonites and you stole his wife. Guys, David didn't water it down, did he? He didn't say, now, David, listen, I realize that any other king would have done the same thing, you know, and, and listen, David, other kings are much worse off than you. Tell me that. I mean, they're, they're a lot worse than you are. He didn't even say, David, listen, I know God is gracious, but no. He just clearly, courageously told the truth, and then he trusted God for the results. And guys, that takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage. And so those are five lessons that we can learn if we ever have to confront someone. But also, the the other side of the coin is this. I want us to notice David's response to this confrontation in hopes that we can respond in a similar way if you and I ever need confronting. If somebody confronts us, look at the way David responds here. It's wonderful. The first lesson we can take home is this. David was approachable. He was approachable. David's response reveals some of the reason why I think God called him a man after my own heart. He was the king, but he didn't refuse to see Nathan. Even though he was living in sin, he didn't cut himself off from all of his godly friends. Guys, listen, we all need somebody in our lives who are close enough to tell us the truth. And can I just ask you this morning, do you have that person in your life? Do you have somebody in your life that knows everything about you, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and they love you anyway, and they will tell you the truth, knowing it's not going to break off the friendship? They love you. Do you have that person? Someone who would just look you in the eye and humbly say, listen, hey, I know that you're having a lot of success right now, but you need to keep your pride in check and make sure you don't become arrogant. Or they may say, hey, listen, I know you're making a lot of money right now, but it seems like all you've been focused on lately are are material things. Or listen, you're a lot of fun to hang out with, but when you tell those filthy, filthy jokes, I mean, it just hurts your witness for Jesus. Or listen, I love you, you're my best friend, but your negativity, it's just killing your witness for Jesus. You're negative all the time, and I love you and don't want you to be like that. I want you to have a good influence on people. Do you have anybody in your life who will tell you the truth, or do you have such a guarded personality that everybody in your life is afraid to confront you? Will you be real this morning and ask yourself that question? Guys, there ought to be a transparency about us that makes you and I approachable. The people can come talk to us. We're not going to blow up on them. You know, more and more people around here at our church who are following Jesus are learning the importance of accountability. You know, when you and I join a church, we are asking for other Christians in this local body of believers to hold us accountable. That's what we're asking them to do. To get together and just ask me the tough questions if need be. You know, David allowed Nathan in his life and he didn't become defensive. You know, David, David could have reacted in anger. He could have gotten Nathan's face and, and he could have just yelled at him and said, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Sorry. Or he could have said this. Who do you think you are to judge me? Isn't that common? Judge not unless you want to be judged. 
You know, Nathan, I've given you everything. I've given you the keys to the palace. You've abused the privilege. You know, I know some things about you too, Nathan. You know, and you wouldn't want those to be made public either. He could have responded like that. He could have blamed Bathsheba. And he could have said, hey, she was naked on the rooftop. What red-blooded Israelite wouldn't have looked? I mean, come on. He could have defended himself and said, you know, Nathan, other kings are a lot worse than I am. Or he could have, this happens all the time. He could have attacked the process. And he could have said, well, well you may be right, but you tricked me with that made-up story about the pet lamb. You tried to get cute. Guys, it's very common. It's very common response to attack the process and say, well, it may be the right thing, but I disagree with the way it was handled. To David's credit, he didn't get defensive. He didn't get defensive. The second thing you and I can learn from him is this. David immediately admitted his guilt. He immediately, admitted, immediately admitted his guilt. In fact, it says he broke. Look at 2 Samuel 12, 13. Then, after that was done, David confessed to Nathan, and he just said it. He said, I've sinned. I have sinned against who? The Lord. You know, years ago, a state official was accused of misusing um, his authority to secure a job for a woman that he was dating. And as the evidence began mounting against him, he decided to make the following statement to the public. Here's what he said. He said, it's possible that I send the wrong signal. If I did, I, and, you know, I did do that. I made a mistake, and then I'm sorry if that happened. Guys, nobody's impressed with that kind of apology. The word if robs the confession of any wrongdoing. It's saying this. It's saying, obviously, you're upset, and I don't think that I've done anything wrong. You know, but just to get you off my back, here's a token apology. So when you and I use words like perhaps or maybe or I guess or possibly, then that's not much of an apology. David didn't do that. No, he simply said, I have sinned. I've sinned. And you know, guys, false guilt comes from judgments and suggestions from other people. But true guilt comes from willfully and knowingly disobeying God. And it is obvious that true guilt had been grinding David's gears at his conscience for, for quite some time now. And he knew in his heart that, that he was a better man than he had been living. He writes it in Psalms 32, starting in verse 3. It expresses, he just expresses what sin had done to him. When he says this, he said, When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. He said, I groaned all day long, day and night. Your hand of discipline, it felt heavy on me, Lord, he's saying. My strength, it evaporated like water in the summer heat. I read about a banker who got entangled in a gambling addiction. And his losses became so extensive that he had to borrow from the bank illegally intending to eventually win. He thought he was going to win big someday and then pay all that money back. But when the auditors came, the situation just came tumbling down around him. And when the police came to arrest him, he said this. He said it was a humiliating moment 
being ushered out in handcuffs in front of everybody. But he said, there was this strange feeling I had as I was being taken to jail. He said, I thought, thank God I won't have to lie anymore. Thank God that I won't have to lie anymore. Guys, David broke and he confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And when he did that, there was a sense of relief. Can I just encourage you this morning? If you are holding on to a secret sin, would you just confess it? Would you just call it what it is before God and don't make excuses and just say, God, I've sinned. Come clean. Guys, I can't tell you, there is so much relief and freedom in just telling the truth. In verse 5 of Psalm 32, David said, Finally, I confessed all my sins to you. I stopped trying to hide my guilt. And I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And what happened? You forgave me. All my guilt is gone, he says. Therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there's still time, that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. Third thing we can learn from David is this that he repented of his sin. David repented of his sin. Listen, guys, he didn't just admit his sin. He repented of it. I mean, he couldn't undo what had already been done, but he repented. He did a 180-degree turn and started walking in the other direction. He changed his mind about it, so that in turn changed his behavior. He didn't go out on the rooftop again with binoculars looking for another woman so he could repeat his sinful behavior. If you want to see the remorse from David, read Psalm 51. At the beginning, the caption, before it actually gets into verse 1, it says, A psalm of David regarding the time Nathan the prophet came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. That's the context. And it says this, verse 1 reads this, Have mercy on me, O God. Because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Guys, when you and I are guilty, we can't get away from it. You notice that? We think about it all the time because we're afraid of being found out. I mean, some people are so paranoid, they go to a football game, and when the team goes into the huddle, they think they're talking about them. You know, it's crazy. They're just paranoid all the time, afraid to be found out. David continues in verse 4 of Psalm 51 when he says, God, against you and you alone have I sinned. He just called it what he said. I've done what's evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. And God, your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Guys, one of the characteristics of true repentance is a complete disclosure of the truth. No more cover-up, no more maneuvering, no more vague answers. Now David just told the truth. I'm a sinner. And then he pleaded in Psalm 51, verse 7. He says, purify me from my sins 
and then I'll be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, God, please give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Sound like repentance? You know, Dennis the Menace was in a cartoon, and he was standing in the corner of his room. And he yells out to his mom while he's in the corner. He says, Mom, can I come out now? I'm as sorry as I'm going to get. And David was as sorry as he could be. I mean, he's saying, to be honest, God, I've had no joy this past year. He's saying, God, I don't even like going to the temple anymore to church. My life has been miserable because of my sin. Would you please restore to me the joy of my salvation, God? Would you please renew a a right spirit within me? And guys, you know what happened when David prayed that? God forgave him. God forgave him. Guys, listen, there are 57 references to David in the New Testament. Not one of them, not one of them make reference to David's sin. Not a one. God casts our sin as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers it no more when you belong to him. He will restore what we did wrong. He will keep no record of it because love, the Bible says, keeps no record of wrongs. David truly repented and God completely forgave. That's what happened. The fourth thing we can learn is this. David accepted the consequences of his sin without any bitterness. Look at 2 Samuel 12, 13. Then David confessed to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord's forgiven you and you're not going to die for this sin. Nevertheless, Because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord by doing this, your child will die. And guys, David loved his little baby. He begged God to spare the child's life. He prayed and he fasted. But the child only lived seven more days and then it died. And you know, when David heard that the child was dead, it says, the Bible says he he got up from the ground He cleaned himself up, and he went to get something to eat. He wasn't bitter because of the earthly consequences of his sin. He handled it with dignity, and he handled it with grace. And guys, a truly repentant person doesn't get angry at God and withdraw from church and just blame other Christians for the way it was handled. The last lesson I want you to take home is this. David forgave himself, and he mended his relationship with Nathan. Forgave himself, mended his relationship with Nathan. Look in verse 24. It says, Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and he slept with her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and David named him Solomon. And it says, The Lord loved the child. Isn't that amazing? I mean, God's grace 
is so amazing. Guys, he picks us up right where we are. But you know, David didn't make life miserable for Bathsheba and for himself. No, says Solomon was born, God loved him, and he moved forward. That's what happened. And you know, it it takes a lot to forgive ourselves, doesn't it? But it takes even more not to hold a grudge against someone who confronts us. Oftentimes when someone obeys God and they go and they lovingly confront another believer, that person's often shunned. They're, They're avoided for a long, long time. But David and Nathan remained friends even after Nathan forced his hand here. And you know, in 1 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 5, it says that David and Bathsheba had some other children. And it says that one of their sons, I just learned this this week, was named Nathan. It says the sons born to David in Jerusalem included Shamua, Shobab, Nathan, and Solomon. It says their mother was Bathsheba, the daughter of Amiel. And so it looks like that David named one of his sons after this prophet who had the courage to confront him in his sin. No wonder. No wonder that the Bible says God or that David, God called David a man after his own heart. Guys, listen, if you have repented, If you have repented, would you just accept God's forgiveness and move forward like David did? Because God has, the scripture says, moved our sin as far as the east is from the west. You know, if you pictured a globe in my hand, the Bible intentionally doesn't say as far as the north is from the south. Because if you start north and you go south, eventually you'll start going north again, but it doesn't say that. No, it says as far as the east is from the west. Because if you start going east, guess what? It continues to go, doesn't it? You'll never start going west. And God just casts them out and remembers them no more. As far as the east is from the west, the Bible says. So listen, if you've repented, just believe in his forgiveness. Know that he loves you and move on. Maybe you're here today. And like David, you've strayed away. And unlike David, there's been no Nathan in your life. Would you this morning let this sermon be a Nathan to you today? I mean, how much better would it have been if if David had repented and turned from his sin much earlier? If you're a follower of Jesus, would you just realize There are times that we all need confronted and to confront. Would you just do it in love? Just do it in love. Or maybe you're here this morning and and you're not a Christian and your sins are not forgiven. Listen, today could be the day that all changes for you. Just confess to God that you're a sinner, that you need Jesus to save you, and then just trust him. Follow him with your whole heart. And then go tell somebody about it. Go tell them. Get plugged into a church, a Bible teaching church, and get plugged into other believers. And the last thing, if you're not a member here, 
today would be a perfect day. There's no better day than to make that decision and say, hey, I want to join this church family. I want other people to hold me accountable so I can be the best follower of Jesus that I can be. Would you make a decision this morning as we stand and sing this last song together with the band? What an amazing challenge from God's Word for all of us. We hope you will start putting everything you've learned in this session into practice. And be sure to subscribe to the 3SC Podcast so you'll never miss any new content. Thanks for listening.